Hello everyone, welcome to Narcissism Recovery Podcast, produced by the Magnolia Healing Center. I'm your host, Yitz Epstein. In this podcast, we will be delving into topics related to narcissistic abuse, codependency, childhood wounds, childhood trauma, mental illness, and all things narcissism. The purpose of this podcast is to bring widespread awareness and healing to the global epidemic of narcissism and codependency. It is my hopes that with this podcast, we can collectively create an environment of health and healing for you, the individual, and for the world at large. Let's begin. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Today, we're going to be discussing narcissism and social shaming. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about social shaming, what social shaming is, how social shaming is used to control people, specifically by narcissistic abusers, both interpersonally and societally as social engineers collectively do this. And then uh, we're going to talk about the devastating effects of social shaming. And finally, I'm going to discuss some thoughts on what to do if we are a victim of social shaming. So the social shaming that I'm referring to here is whenever we have this fear of public shaming of reputation loss, and when the threat of rejection from a social group is used to control others and to keep them in line. Now, social shaming or reputation shaming is extremely effective because of the one most basic needs, which is to belong. So studies, as well as science, as well as common sense, say that we have a much better chance of survival when we are part of a pact, part of the, the group mentality, right? If we were connected to a larger group, our chances of survival are much, are much higher. Now, because of the dependence on the group to survive from, let's say, the moment we're born, then the loss of this, the threat to this need of being a belonging is certainly a risk of our survival and our well-being. So when it comes to, let's say, a narcissistic abuser, they're going to see this as leverage and they're going to capitalize on this need, especially if it's an unmet need. And this happens both interpersonally and on a collective scale. So let's talk about this on an interpersonal level. When a narcissistic abuser, what they do to their own family of, let's say, their, their family of origin, or they do this to their intimate relationships, what they're going to want to do is they're going to want to isolate. Now, isolation allows for control because whenever a person has their relationship avenues controlled, and ultimately when a person is disconnected from being able to reach out for help or connection, uh, they are very easily gaslit and uncontrollable. Now, the next thing is dependency. Now, a narcissistic abuser wants dependency on them as the only one who can meet their needs. With this, they can ultimately further bind them and control them. So a narcissistic parent, for example, what they'll do oftentimes is they'll stick their fingers into the relationships, into the personal business of the children, of their family system, and they want, they'll want to know all the details, and ultimately they'll want to be the center of attention. They'll want to be sort of in control all the time. And this is an attempt to know all the personal life and assure that no one has any ability to, to, to get out of the system and ultimately that, that they won't lose their control. Now, controlling what their victims do, who they have relationships with, is important to assure that they're not, let's say, gathering resources or awareness or strength to ultimately uh, individuate and become their own person. And a narcissistic abuser is going to see any attempt to, let's say, connect with other people outside the group as a violation or a betrayal of the trust in them and of their bond, right, and ultimately of their ability to control, and they're going to shame their victims for doing so. Now, the idea here is that a narcissistic abuser's intention is to control and to create dependency through any means necessary. So the social shaming piece specifically shows up when, let's say, a member of the group decides to walk away or create a boundary because a narcissistic abuser sees 
this rejection of the family unit or their, the dependence on them, or let's say the loss of the control, they're going to come after the victims and most usually going to try to attack their reputation and, uh, and socially shame them to try to get in the way of and ultimately inhibit them or sabotage any ability to connect with those on the outside who can help and who can help them. Right? So in essence, the aim is to cripple victims' ability to be independent and then ultimately try to hoover them back in, try to take, pull them back into the toxic unit. Now, because of the natural fear of losing one's, let's say, social status, the potential loss of the need to, uh, to, to, to belong, like we said, and, and safety, and then ultimately the dependence on the group, the threat of social shaming is a wildly effective way to keep, uh, to keep someone bonded in, bonded in a relationship. So then if you take the same model and you translate it on a collective level, on the macro level, social engineers who are unfortunately mostly narcissistic, psychopaths, sociopaths, uh, what they're able to do is they're able to sort of set the norm for a society. They can create what is the socially acceptable norm and then shame anybody who doesn't fall in line. And this can be done, uh, this setting of the norm can be done through media, specifically social media, television, sports, advertising, news outlets, things like that. And what they do is they decide what is okay and what is not. And, uh, and the masses who are largely unaware of the evils of this type of abuse will just go along with it and then normalize it in between each other. But even if you are aware of what's going on, it's very difficult to, you know, ultimately, which planet are you going to live on, right? Where are you going to go if you don't like it? You're kind of pressured by the people around you to, to fit in and, and to go along with the masses. So just to bring an example of this on a macro scale, on a collective scale, was the way that athletes and popular celebrities were used to socially engineer the norm of getting the vaccine. Now, I'm not debating whether the vaccine is a good or bad choice, and whatever you decide to do, obviously, that's your free choice, and, and that's perfectly fine, but this is about the methods that were used to create that norm and that sort of subtle, nuanced pressure to get the vaccine. So the continuous parading of, of popular athletes and celebrities who got the vaccine created this sort of norm, and ultimately, if we idolize and idealize these celebrities and athletes, then uh, it sets up society to feel like this is what well, has to be done to fit in, right? And then ultimately, if you don't do this, then you're going to feel ashamed. And if you if you were watching television at all during COVID, you probably noticed the sheer vast amount of popular celebrities who were promoting the vaccine. And from a social engineer perspective, it's really not that difficult to have everyone fall in line because what people will do is if that's the norm, then anybody who goes outside of the norm, then people will just do this to each other. They'll just shame you, shame their neighbor or shame their friends to conform and put that pressure, which is enough to get people to do things, even if let's say they're against their better, uh, higher, higher self or better interest, or, and especially let's say if they're, if they're heinous and, and ultimately a criminal activity. Now, this is, this is really how powerful the fear of social rejection is and the need to fit in and ultimately how, how social shaming could really be used as a tool. Now, the, this technique of social shaming and, and creating fear of, of, of one's loss of reputation or social status is wildly effective. And I imagine we all could relate to this concept on some level. We all have experienced the social pressure, right, to look a certain way, speak a certain way, uh, build a particular lifestyle, have relationships or marry certain people. And this fear goes back to childhood as we're building a personality. Essentially, what we're doing is trying to fit in and build a sense of self that people accept. So we look around to our parents and then to peers and then ultimately to society to assure that we're going to be accepted. And, and ultimately, we want to resist the rejection, which is really just uh, suicide, or ultimately, uh, it's the loss of survival if we are going to be rejected by family members, peers, and then later uh, society. Now, there are many issues with social pressure, and there are many 
devastating effects of being shamed into a specific role or a specific personality. But one of the most notable uh, side effects or, or devastating effects would be that it builds us up into a person that we are not. So in essence, it's a false and a shame-based sense of self that really is not who we are. It's out of alignment with our authenticity, with our authentic self. Now what it is, it's a self that's based on the desperate need for other people's approval. It's starved for intimacy because ultimately we're not even really in our own life. So we're, we're avoiding ourself, which means we're not, we're not whole, we're not ourself. And therefore we can't have intimacy with other people. And uh, we're fearful of self-expression and, and ultimately we're highly codependent on what people think of us. You know, communities that are kept together by social shaming, whether it's families, communities, or, or society, or the collective, uh, communities like this are going to be extremely rigid. They're going to be very judgy. Uh, there's going to be punishments of all, of, of all forms for, for self-expression, and, and sometimes just being judged for self-expression and, self and being creative has, has a strong uh, a control factor, has a, has a, a way of, of backing people down into, into submission, having strong rules, engaging in black and white thinking with regards to, to what is right. And there are usually gatekeepers, which in many instances are just members of the community who go around and sort of shame people for, uh, for being quote unquote out of line or being different. And uh, the, the, the engineers or the narcissists at the top almost don't have to do much. They just have to wait for these sort of flying monkeys to run around and do their dirty work for them. And in, the family of, in, a, in a family system, that's just the, let's say one member wants to, wants to be individuate, right? And wants to be creative and wants to be their authentic self. Then uh, in the small family unit, the flying monkeys are let's say family members or friends. So communities that live in this shame-based society are going to live in deep fear, and they're going to operate much in the way uh, a codependent or narcissistic family does, and there's going to be no tolerance for personal opinion or individuation of self. So victims of this type of unit are going to go ahead and shame themselves for, let's say, falling short of the social norm, and uh, ultimately they'll shame each other, which creates what I refer to in the intro to this podcast episode, or to uh, the recent podcast episodes, as the epidemic of codependency and narcissism, which is people just beating themselves up for not being perfect, not realizing that the, the standard that has been set has been, is, is toxic and ultimately un unattainable. Now, social shaming can be catastrophic. Some of the devastating effects include staying in relationships or situations or friendships, let's say communities or jobs, and then tolerating untold abuse as we diminish ourselves and cut parts of ourselves off just to fit in, just in order to not be judged. And when a person is socially shamed, they are usually going, there's usually going to be some gaslighting. And the idea is that we want to, a person to, to not trust themselves and only trust their abuser. So naturally, social shaming will have victims experiencing the effects of gap, gaslighting, which is most notably just crippling uh, self-doubt. So victims of social shaming or the threat of reputation loss are going to feel lost, most usually disconnected from themselves, out of touch. Uh, ultimately, the price of admission and acceptance into social shaming families and communities is submission of authenticity. So there's certainly going to be a loss of, of one's self-expression. Uh, there's, there's certainly going to be a, a mistrust of oneself and other people, like we mentioned the gaslighting piece, uh, but ultimately everyone around you is your worst enemy and everyone around you, it could be a threat to shame you back into submission. So you, you have a hard time trusting other people and ultimately have a hard time trusting yourself as well usually going to be an extreme codependency. You know, when we have to fit into a dangerous environment at all costs, which many of us who are raised in narcissist homes can really relate to that concept, what we end up doing is we end up studying other people and obsessing over how they react to us and, and what we need to become so that we get a positive expression from them. We oftentimes become hypervigilant, we become, become nervous, uh, we constantly worry, right? And we overthink about what others are thinking about us. And in essence, we're motivated by this fear of rejection, which is constant. 
And we may even start to anticipate what people are thinking or even mind read and become extreme people pleasers. Uh, again, we're trying to assure our survival by fitting in and, and being a people pleaser and assuring that other people accept us for the version of our, ourselves that they accept uh, assures our survival. In addition, when we are victims of social shaming, we're most usually gonna be very critical of ourselves. We're gonna be very self-conscious. And one of the ways that narcissistic communities keep their members in line is to do what, what narcissistic families do in their families and on a micro is to never allow them to feel secure, confident, and comfortable with who they are or to trust themselves, right? So in subtle ways of, of setting the norm, the community leaders or family leader or social engineer will make it a shameful thing to not go along with the aforementioned set norm. Uh, and they may continuously talk about, let's say, how unsafe it is to not go along and how you're ethically or morally incorrect for not going along with the norm. Uh, they may talk about how unfaithful they are, how unpatriotic or how uh, dangerous they are to society. They're not being, let's say, a good friend, family member, citizen by not conforming. And this is also one of the main ways that cults and extremely abusive religions kind of keep their victims uh, submitted and, and brainwashed and, and stuck and bonded. So if you're a victim of social shaming, if this podcast resonates with you, you can probably relate to the unbearable feelings of, of injustice, unfairness, the deep loneliness and betrayal that comes along with being treated this way by those who you want to be closest to. So here are some of my thoughts that have helped me get through it, uh, you know, find my tribe, uh, ultimately heal and rebuild my life. Because as I'll describe shortly, this is certainly a struggle for me. Uh, so firstly, it's, it's important to understand it's, it's not your fault. Uh, you want to do what you can to let go of the shaming of yourself and the self-blame for not being able to convince others of your worth or to see you as lovable or try to try to fix people who are broken. You know, sometimes when we get rejected by people, uh, it's it's not personal. They just don't have the ability to love us. And in, in, even if it is personal, even if they're trying to hurt us, ultimately we get to decide how to react. And usually when someone's acting this way, it's a sign that we want to we wanna get some space and distance that let's say you've outgrown the relationship and that you're ready to, to step away into more growth and healing and abundance. So Try not to get pulled into the negative feedback loop of, of it's your fault, and uh, which is certainly going to be a symptom of, of someone who's been shamed, but realizing that it's not your fault and uh, understand that you have the ability to walk away. Secondly, the loss of your reputation, which is the threat, right? The fear of the loss of that reputation might feel like, you know, we're dead. We're, it's, it might feel deadly, right? Like life is over. Like if I don't have my reputation, uh, then, I'm, then I'm dead, right? But in essence, you can always start over and create a new reputation in, let's say, a different location or with different people. And this time you can do it with healthier people and, and, and ultimately more transparent people. You know, at the end of the day, your reputation is not necessarily who you are. Yes, it's important. And when somebody shames and destroys your reputation, it sucks and it's uncomfortable. However, uh, what we're able to do is we're able to step into our authentic self. And that's really what a healing journey is. It's, it's uh, we're able to sort of focus on ourselves, rebuild ourselves, and then our reputation will be who we are. So we just live our life and people, if they, if they hear negative things about us, okay, well then obviously it's lies and they can believe those lies, but that's not who you are. And you can just be your authentic self. And the people who truly care and want to pay attention and understand and get to know you, they're not going to listen to those lies. And while this is very difficult, because ultimately, especially if we worked really hard on building a reputation to lose that can feel extremely painful. Um, but this sort of a perspective to hopefully help you let go of the grip of that reputation, let it die in a sense if somebody's trying to taint it and, uh, you know, take that time to grieve and heal, become whole, and then, uh, ultimately rebuild your life and your reputation based on, on the heal self, on the new self. And thirdly, got to heal your wounds. You got to go on a healing journey. These wounds of, of social shaming, they wreak havoc on every element of our life. Uh, especially our intimate lives 
And ultimately, this is going to inhibit our ability to be happy and peaceful. So, so important to, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, go on that healing journey and become whole and realize that, you know what, who you are is not that reputation. Who you are is who you are, with whether people see it or not. So you value yourself, appreciate yourself, accept yourself, and live your authentic life. And then ultimately, your reputation uh, will will correct itself. And in the in reality, if, if there is a negative reputation and it's not true, uh, usually uh, it falls away as people start to see the libels for what they are and just smear campaigns. And if they don't see it, then that's unfortunate. But at the end of the day, it's so important to not waste time trying to fix the, the reputation, try to save it. Uh, in reality, a much better use of our energy is to focus on yourself to heal and, uh, and ultimately go in the direction of your happiness and your peace. And the final tip here is to become authentic, right, which we did mention, and, and just raise your consciousness and heal your energy, right? The expression, your vibe attracts your tribe. When you heal I and mean, you become whole, you start to realize that people who sit around and shame other people for their shortcomings are not really the types of people you want to be around. They're not people who lift you up. And, and it's, it's, there's many people who will lift you up, and these are certainly not those people. And when we have the courage to let go of those uh, who no longer serve us, and this might be our family of origin, which, which sucks. You know, we don't want to let that go. We don't really want to lose the bond to people who, were, who we wanted to connect to. But ultimately, we, we have to make sure that we are being there for ourselves. We are uh, including people in our life who are serving us and letting go of people who do not. Uh, by letting go of people who do not serve us, we can ultimately make room for those who do. So to finish off, I grew up in a community that was quite literally set up this way. It was very cult-like. Uh, in the community I was raised in, it was extremely judgmental, and you felt those judgments. And anybody who had any form of self-expression, sexual identity, uh, happiness, was just shamed. Uh, anybody who would, would not listen to the norm you know, set up by the rabbi of the community, uh, any form of self-expression was shamed. And we were just taught that everything we needed was in this community. And if we would leave the community, we wouldn't make it, right? There's nothing out there. Everything's in here. And this was done community-wide, but it was also done by family of origin, right? My mom most certainly would use this, this technique. She'd coddle us, you know, giving us no skills to individuate, in a sense, smothering us, crippling our sense of self so we'd never leave. And as you can imagine, once I miraculously made it out of my family unit, which, which is nothing short of a, a miracle by the grace of God, uh, and leaving the cult my mom created, uh, ultimately she had this smear campaign where she tried to destroy my reputation, cut me off from friends. She sent friends after me, sent, sent people after me to, to just make me, to isolate me and ultimately cripple me. And then I'd fall back into her, her arms so she can further her, her abuse. And, you know, growing up in a family like this or community like this, it, it's terrifying. And you're terrified to step out of line of not doing the norm. You live your whole life just for other people's approval, just to not get rejected. But in reality, we're, we're rejecting ourselves. So it really is kind of, uh, kind of comical from that perspective. And in, re, in communities like that, there's such a palpable fear of being different, of being your authentic self, of being happy. And, and as children, we were terrified of having, let's say, a bad reputation. We constantly worried about what others thought about us. The fear of social shaming was so intense and, and of losing our reputation and being seen as not good and not religious enough or, or godlike enough or, or perfect enough. And it basically, it was basically the foundation of everything we did, everything we said, thought, believed, and everything we wore, all our decisions. And there was not necessarily anybody policing anybody around in the literal sense of the word, but you certainly couldn't relax because you, you felt like you were constantly being watched and you were constantly being uh, you know, judged to, to be seen if you are good enough, you're acceptable. So if this podcast resonates with you, if you have been a victim of social shaming, then I really hope this, this episode brought you some clarity as to what can we do to move past it. You know, many of us don't realize how we are affected by societal norms. 
Uh, we, we are subtly downloaded with information as kids. And then society, as uh, even as adults, we don't notice it because it's so subtle. It's so nuanced. We, you know, you want to pay attention to expressions in advertising or just some of the way the uh, ways that the TV announcers talk. It's just, it's very nuanced. It's very subtle. And all of them have a, have a message. And, and really, if you dig down deep enough, there's sort of some gaslighting going on and, and, and manipulation and ultimately shaming that's happening if you do not fit in line, if you do not go along with the masses. And in reality, the masses, the world in general, seems quite sick. So if you're going along with the masses, chances are uh, there's, it's, it's going to be difficult to, to heal. So healing has to do with going on a healing journey, which is against the grain. It's not necessarily what most people are doing, and that's why it's extremely lonely and, and painful. But in reality, that isolation might be necessary as we sort of break the pattern of the, the pressures of society and what the norm is, do, what the society is doing as a norm and realizing that we can create our own norm. We can decide to go in any direction we decide that we choose. And that is the power of the human being. We have free choice. So the idea is to become your authentic self, become whole, develop inner peace, go on that healing journey and really step into your authenticity and just share your energy. And if people don't like it, you don't, you don't need permission from them. And most of the time they don't even like themselves. So just let those people go, let them judge. Uh, don't let it affect you. Do what you can to, to only uh, truly uh, accept people into your life who build you up, who have compassion, who care, and uh, ultimately don't shame you for being different. Cause at the end of the day, every single one of us is different. So it would be a, quite a quite a sad world if we were all the same, we'd be quite lame. So the fact of the matter is, is that our differences make us make us special. And that is really what we want to nurture. And uh, the, the idea is to surround yourself with people who build you up, who see those differences and acknowledge them and appreciate them and validate them and see them as an expression of your authentic self and nurture that as opposed to judge it and stifle it, which ultimately keeps us stuck and it keeps us from really growing and reaching our full potential. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. It's such an honor to be with you all today. Until next time, all the best.